Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 193. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, our host here every week, and I'm excited to continue our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT, formerly Next Step Test Prep, a breakdown of Blueprint MCAT full length one which you can get for free. Everyone listening to this can get Blueprint MCAT full length one for free. If you go to blueprintprep.com and sign up for all of the Blueprint free goodies, you get a half length diagnostic, the free full length one, as well as access to a lot of other tools and resources from Blueprint so with that said, we're going to continue our breakdown of Full Length One right now. Phil, back for some more MCAT podcasts, breaking down the magical, mysterious, splendiferous, scintillating Blueprint MCAT Full Length One, which is free, which I think a lot of students don't understand. You don't have to always pay money for these amazing full-length exams. You get a diagnostic for free and full-length one from Blueprint MCAT. Just go to blueprintmcat.com. No, blueprintprep.com uh, slash MCAT if you want to throw that in MCAT. too. Yeah. Um, or you just click on MCAT uh, and uh, and go and sign up for all these goodies that you get. Um, yeah. We're... Over the last many weeks, we've been going through section one. We're going to go through all of the sections of the test over the next several months. And uh, so if if you want to uh, go through full length one with us, maybe you just took full length one and you want to go through with us and see where you went wrong, where you went right, then you can follow along with us. Or if you're listening to this like normal on, on, on in a podcast or watching this on YouTube, um, and you want to just go question by question with us, you can do that too. So I'm excited to jump in here for a, a set of discreets, which are always fun for me because I don't like to read passages. Yeah, that that last passage about the mitochondria was a little bit, I think that's one of the hardest passages of the of this section. Yeah. Um, like we, we get a little bit of a reprieve with some discreets here. <laughs> that was not a fun section. Not, not a fun passage, rather. Um, all right. So just a, a brief kind of tidbit uh, pearl of wisdom for when a student goes from that passage to the discreets. Is there anything like a mindset switch? Is there any kind of just take a deep breath? What, what kind of tips or recommendations do you have switching from the, the passage to the discreet section? Well, I think actually the, 
there's something that happens like with the passage, you're not sure where the answer is going to have to come from. Sometimes it comes from inside your head. Sometimes it comes from the passage. Sometimes it could be either, right? Like divine intervention sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Something. (laughs) Um, But with the discrete questions, the answer is always got to come from your own head. Mm. I actually really like discrete as a good indicator of how like competent students are with their content Mm. because if they miss a lot of discretes, that means they're missing some info versus you could miss a lot of passages and maybe your problem is just the data interpretation and your content is actually fine. It's just the application of it gets a little bit messy when you get those weird passages. That's, that's interesting. So with blueprint, with, with the big switch over to blueprint, prep and, and the, the MCAT platform there, you guys have a lot of back-end analytics. So a student yeah. who buys a set of full-length exams, and you can buy four, six, or ten, um, a student who, who has access to, to those full-length exams, who has access to the analytics, is it broken down in that way to say, okay, on full-length one, you missed... 60% and hopefully it's not that high, but you miss 60% of your passage based questions, but you got 90% of your discrete questions, right? Does, yeah. does it break it down in that way? Yeah, it does. It gives you information about that. Not just about just like in terms of like the types of questions, but also what were the questions about? And mm-hmm. so you might find that you're actually pretty strong in classical genetics, but really weak in molecular genetics. Mm. And so like that, you also get that, that as well. And that's even with the free, the free um, exam that we're going through now that everyone can get. Okay. So you still get that data analytics there. Yeah. Good. But just something to be you know aware of, like as you're reviewing your own tests and kind of like looking over stuff, just kind of see how many questions you missed in the discretes versus the content. If you miss, if you're getting a lot of your discrete, that means your content is probably pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's just something to be aware of. Okay, cool. All right. Question 44, a ray of white light moves through the air and strikes the surface of water in a beaker. The index of refraction of the water is 1.33 and the angle of incidence is 30 degrees. Oh, these bring, this brings back memories. All of the following are true. All right, these are the tricky ones, except Roman numeral one, the angle of reflection is 30 degrees. Roman numeral two, the angle of refraction is 30 degrees. Three, or Roman numeral three, Total internal reflection will result depending on the critical angle. So white light moving through the air. Do I need to know the wavelength of white light? That is the first question in my head. Is that important? Uh, Index. Probably not. (laughs) The index of refraction of the water is 1.33. The angle of incidence is 30 degrees. Oh, I, for, I forget the um, kind of the, the language around index of refraction, the angle of incidence, reflection, refraction. So let's, let's yeah. talk through these. Yeah. So reflection, that's just the light kind of bouncing off of a surface. Mm-hmm. Refraction is what happens when white, when light enters or exits a material. 
like going from like mm. uh, like a fish, like the light coming off of a fish and then coming out of the water. Yep. And then you can see the fish because the light is hitting your eye. Okay. And so the trick with that is that light bends yeah. as it changes substances. Mediums. It actually changes speed. It's yeah. one of the coolest experiments in the last 20 years. There was a guy in Germany who was able to stop a photon. It's just me nerding out like he had a <laughs> photon and he got it to freeze in space. He didn't absorb the photon. He stopped it. And yeah. then he was able to restart it and it hit something. Wow. So it turns out that whenever light slows down, we all, we always see like speed of light is three times 10 to the eighth meters per second. Mm. That's the speed light goes in a vacuum. Yep. And that's also the speed limit of the universe. Light can go slower. And that's what leads to this like bending refraction stuff that we have here. And so this is why when you have a straw in your ice water, it looks like the straw is bent. Yeah. The straw isn't bent, yeah. but the light is bending. Okay. And so... The bending so, light is refraction. Mm. The like mirror stuff is reflection. Yeah. So just with that, right, the the mirror stuff, you would assume that the angle of incidence and the reflection should be the same because it's going to be a mirror. The refraction right. shouldn't be the same because it's going to bend and it's going to be different. Um, so two, just based on that, potentially, if I'm thinking through that right, two is not going to be true. And so we have... Uh, answer choice A is one only. Answer choice B is one and three. And then C and D both have answer choice two in it. Uh, two and three only, and then one, two, and three. So if th- if my thinking is correct there, um, two is not correct. Um, although <laughs> the question is asking, all of the following are true except. Uh, okay. So with that said, I think answer choice one is true. Answer choice two is not true. Therefore, D, A can't be right because A, one only is true. B, one is true, so it can't be right. D, one is true, so that can't be right. C is the only one that doesn't have one. It has two and three only. So I'm going to go with answer choice C. Good cat. I saw your your wheels turning and you're like, okay, I know two is not true. And so I think it's A, B, or D. But then you like look back at the question, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Um, they asked which of these is not true and two is not true. And so two has to be in the answer and one has to not be in the answer. Yeah. So we didn't even have to look at Roman numeral number three. Yeah. Like because we knew one was true, that means we don't even have to look at Roman numeral two either. Like if we know that one is true, yeah. then C is the right answer. And um, total worth- internal reflection is if you're in the water, will whatever's under the water come out? Will Will somebody be able to see what's under the water, correct? Yeah. Will the, will the light be able to escape the water? Yeah. Um, because when light comes out of water, it's going to bend and be a bigger angle, which yeah. is fine most of the time. But there's some angle where the light comes in and then when it leaves it leaves at 90 degrees. Yeah. And so if the light is trying to exit at a bigger angle than that, it can't leave at an angle bigger than 90 degrees. So you can't get refraction in that case. And so yep. it's total internal reflection. Yep. Um, that's the principles behind fiber optic cables, mm. um, which is how we're speaking through the internet right now. So <laughs> thank th- you. Thank you. Total internal reflection. <laughs> okay. So there we go. See tricky one. All right. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that the reason that that uh, Roman numeral three is not true is it only occurs as light goes from a thing with lower internal or higher internal reflection um, 
than the to the lower the index of refraction that's the word i'm looking for mm. so the, it has to go from the higher end to the lower end in this case we have light going from air into the water mm -hmm. and so it's going from an n of one to an n of 1.3 and so because the n is going up we don't have total internal reflection yep. um we need it to be going down for that to even be possible okay all all right, so which of the following correctly describes the orbital hybridization of xenon, tetrafluoride, and ammonia, respectively? <laughs> and then we got a bunch of SPs, Ds, and numbers. So oh. SP3D2, SP3, SP2, SP3D2, SP2, kind of a bunch of mixtures here. Yeah. I don't remember any of this stuff. I mean, I, I know, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So the tricky thing with the orbital hybridization is you have to look at not just how many things that central atom is bound to, like the xenon is bound to four fluorines, mm -hmm. but also how many electron pairs we have. And so the xenon tetrafluoride, that is connected to four fluorines, mm -hmm. but it's also got two lone pairs of electrons. And so that means that xenon is going to have an electron orbital, another electron orbital, and then four fluorines coming off of it. And so that's going to be connected to six things total. And so when we make our hybrid orbitals, we're going to have to include six different orbitals to like Frankenstein together, some hybrid orbitals out of that. Um, so just off of that, we know like an S and three Ps, that's only going to get me four orbitals. Mm -hmm. I need six orbitals. Um, because the xenon tetrafluoride, once again, has the two lone pairs. Yep. So and B so and C from that, Yeah, we can eliminate B and C. So the other question with, is what's going on with ammonia. Yeah, with that said, with the xenon, uh, xenon? Xenon. Xenon. Yeah, xenon. Xenon warrior princess. Yes. Uh, with the xenon tetrafluoride, looking at a periodic table, can someone determine that, what you just said, having the the orbitals and yeah. stuff? So, so I, I pulled up the of, periodic table here. Yeah, so pulling up a periodic table, each of our fluorines is going to have seven electrons. Um, and that's what we can find One, from like two, looking through three, the second four, five, period. Six, seven. It's going to have seven electrons. Okay. So fluorine wants to have an octet. And so it needs to pick up an extra electron to mm. form a bond. And so because the xenon is connected to the fluorine, the xenon is giving one electron to form that bond. And so now fluorine is going to have this lone or this like octet of electrons. So it's going to be really stable. The thing is xenon, first off, it's worth noting that xenon is a noble gas. So this is actually kind of a hard molecule to make because xenon is noble gases are famously yeah. unreactive. They're stubborn. But mm. yeah, they're stubborn. And so because the xenon has eight electrons, it's going to be donating one electron to each of those fluorines. So that's four of its electrons that are accounted for. Mm -hmm. There's also the other four electrons. And those four electrons are not in the bonds to fluorine. So those other four electrons have to be in just two lone pairs. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have the two lone pairs and then the four fluorines going through that. Okay. Four and two lone pairs, that's where you get the six from. Right, it's going to be a six total um electron densities around that xenon and so we have to have six hybrid like a hybrid orbital with six things included in it to make the six hybrid orbitals okay so the s three p's and two d's that all adds up to six orbitals got it so it's sp3 d2 okay so the other one is ammonia mm -hmm. so trying to figure out what ammonia is going to be yeah um 
Any thoughts on that? I'm looking at the periodic table again, just to see potentially. And uh, it's two over from fluoride, the, the nitrogen. So instead of seven, potentially five. Right. Um, the H attaching to three of them, maybe. And so I'm left with two more. So three and two, I need four spots. No. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the three bonds to hydrogen and then the one lone pair yeah. left over. Yeah. So that would leave me with A because D only has three spots. Right. Yeah. So SP2, that would have what well, that would be what we got if the nitrogen didn't have a lone pair of electrons, but it yeah. does. So it's going to be SP3. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's one of those things that's like Gen Chem 101. <laughs> and so as, as students get like really into it, they're like dealing with, you know, like really complex things like organic chemistry and like the electrochemistry of like batteries and all of this stuff. Sometimes it's important to remember like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta look back at like, just like what an orbital's shaped like and like how many electrons and like xenon has and adding all that stuff. Yep. Wow. All right. Yeah. Periodic table right. for the win. All right. Question 46. The transcription factor AP1 is a heterodimer consisting of C June and C FOS. C June and C FOS are soluble proteins that can be localized to either the cytosol or nucleus of a cell. C June and CFOS dimerize through a leucine zipper motif. Yes, that's one of my favorite motifs. <laughs> In a leucine zipper motif, every seven amino acid residues or two full turns of an alpha helix are leucine resides. Leucine and other amino acids on one face of the helix come together to form an opposite alpha helix that has a similar arrangement of leucine and other amino acids. Which solvent would be least favorable for CFOS C-June dimerization? Holy moly. Um, which solvent would be least favorable for CFOS C-June dimerization? So it tells me in this super long question, um, mm -hmm that the dimerization occurs through this motif and this motif is, um, yeah. Wow. This like leucine zipper motif, which is once again, pointing to the importance of amino acids. Amino acids. Um, yes. So leucine, uh, the symbol for that is L just for fun, throwing that in there mm -hmm. is a hydrophobic amino acid. Mm. And so hydrophobic amino acid, hydrophobic stuff in general, doesn't want to be by water. Yeah. So the C-June and the C-FOS, these two individual peptides are going to orient in a way where they, they have these like big long chains of leucines that don't want to be by water. They will come together and put those leucines next to each other to keep this hydrophobic stuff hidden away from mm -hmm. the whatever the hydrophilic environment is. Um, so it's a way to kind of sequester this hydrophobic area away from the solvent. Um, this is actually what helps us fold a lot of the proteins in our body. Um, they will fold and like bury the hydrophobic regions away from generally like the cytoplasm and extracellular stuff, which is basically just water and therefore really polar. Um, so we have all of this stuff about this leucine zipper motif, these leucines that are hydrophobic and they want to be kind of away from each other. And so they're going to have this like 
zipper motif where these hydrophobic regions just kind of stack up on top of each other in the middle of this dimer mm. protein. And so we want to know which one will, which, which solvent will make that happen less. Right. And so if it's hydrophobic, then a, a, a water-based anything would make it happen because it's trying to hide and, and have that happen. So right. water wouldn't be right. Um, hexane, potentially ethanol, I think, still has some water in it, maybe. Um, Phosphate-buffered saline. Saline is water. Um, yeah. So, that, so C and D are very similar. Like, yeah. Phosphate buffered saline, that's water with stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so the question is which one has the least amount of water potentially or hydra, l- the least, the least hy- amount of like polar hydrophilic yeah. air? Yeah. Hexane or ethanol? Um, I think ethanol would be the wrong answer. So I, I would go with A potentially. Yeah. So the ethanol has like an OH group on it, which is a lot like water. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a pretty polar molecule as well. Um, and so, yeah, ethanol, water, saline, they're all going to be polar molecules. Hexane is just a pile of carbons and hydrogens. It's nonpolar. So normally these leucines are trying to get away from the solvent because the solvent is polar. If the solvent is nonpolar, then the leucines want to be on the outside instead of like sequestered and hidden away. (laughs) Um, COVID is over. We can come out. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And so. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. Sequestering. That's immediately <laughs> where my mind goes. It's like, I'm trapped at home. Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, because to be honest, like uh, you could probably skip the first 80% of that question. Mm-hmm. The the last bit of like, just like, which solvent is least favorable for this? If the MCAT ever asks you about solvents, look at the solvents. There's going to be an odd one out. Three yeah. of those are polar. One of them's nonpolar. It's the nonpolar one. Um, and that works really well. Now, so that means you can get this question correct, even if you're not sure what's going on with the C. June C. Foss zipper motif thing, which I actually think is a good chunk of students because there's a good chance that nobody's <laughs> seen this. Nobody's familiar with C. June and C. Foss. Um, the gunners but that's are. once again trying to. Yeah. Yeah. The gunners, <laughs> the people who are like <laughs> staying up late at night, tossing and turning. <laughs> oh, C. June C. Foss. I need to I need to study. Um, but to be honest, you don't need that in order to answer this question. Um, just kind of recognizing which one's the odd one out is a, is a really useful technique, especially if they're asking about solvents or amino acids, there's going to be one of them that's like different from the other. I'm yeah. just learning to identify that, that other outlier. Yep. All right. 47. All right. 47. So we have the association constant Ka of epithelial growth factor receptor binding to epithelial growth factor, EGFR and EGF respectively. It is 5.61 times 10 to the sixth. What is the KEQ of EGFR plus EGF turns into EGFR EGF? Um, so that reaction that they're showing you there is the receptor and the factor coming together to be one thing um, rather together. than two things. Like sep- right now. <laughs> Over me. All right. And we talked uh, a week or two ago, I forget, about KEQ. Greater than one, more products than reactants, less than one, 
more reactants than products, basically saying how easy is this for how easy is this is this reaction to happen? Yeah, kind of a general statement for that. I'm guessing. Um. Hmm. So. So looking at this, this number is like way bigger than one. Yeah. That's like. They're huge. Like 5 million. Yeah. And so this thing definitely wants to go to the products. Right. <laughs> the products is way more favored than the yeah. reactant. So that means that the receptor and the epithelial growth factor want to come together and they're going to come together about 5 million times more often than they stay apart. Yeah. Uh, the association constant does when you look at that the only thing that's bigger than the association constant is answer choice c i think because it's 10 to the seventh instead of 10 to the sixth and so is what's the relationship there does the keq have to be greater than the association constant to make this happen so this is one of my big pet peeves in the realm of chemistry. There's a couple of things <laughs> I'll get on my soapbox for, but this is one of them. Um, so the KEQ is just a measure of like, what's the, like the products, what's, what's the ratio of products to reactants? There's some, I, this is, I know this is not what happened, but this is what happened in my mind. Uh, some chemist was like, I want to be famous. Right? <laughs> so so I, look, look, everyone, I invented a way to tell how much product you'll get in this acid-based reaction. Mm-hmm. And I call it the KA. A high KA means it favors the products. <laughs> a low KA means it favors the reactants. And everyone's like, isn't that just a KEQ? And then he's like, yeah, but it's for an acid. <laughs> um, but like, it's just a type of KEQ. Mm. There are dozens of these. KAs for acids, KBs of bases, KDs of dissociation reactions, KWs for waters, KSPs for solubilities, KA, another KA of association, which is what we're doing here. There's a couple KAs. There's a KA of an acid, KA of association, same thing. <laughs> like it, it's all like, just like telling us like the balance between products and reactants. Okay. So what they're giving us here is the KA of this epithelial growth factor is the KEQ. 5.61, blah, blah, blah. And then they ask, what's the KEQ of this reaction? Yeah. This reaction that they're giving us is the association reaction. Yeah. So the KEQ is the KA. Yeah. So it's just A. <laughs> it's, it's, Thanks it's a lot. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right? Now, that's actually something to be really aware of. They could have asked for the KD which is the dissociation constant. Mm. So the dissociation constant is actually the reverse reaction, the enzyme or the the receptor and factor leaving and separating. And so if they ask for the KD here, which the MCAT very easily could ask, Mm -hmm. you just have to flip it because our K, this is, they give us the KA of the forward, the KD. So if the reaction was flipped, that's just going to be one over the KA. So they're just inverses of each other because if something really wants to associate, that means it doesn't want to dissociate. Mm-hmm. So a really high KA means that reaction wants to associate. The dissociation reaction is really unfavored. So we would have a really low KD. So that would be one over 5 million. So mm. the dissociation reaction is really unfavored. Okay. Just a side note, looking at this question, they don't give you a lot to go off of. They yeah. give you one number in the not, question. Not a lot of math and, to work with. 
Yeah, like if they gave you like a couple of other numbers that you could like multiply or divide or add or subtract, then all of a sudden I'm thinking like, oh, there might be some kind of a more complex calculation, but they don't give us any of that. So that just is like a little bit of a side note that maybe this is actually a lot simpler than it looks because they didn't give me anything that I can do with calculations or anything to kind of relate to that. So um, the answer is just the same number that they told me a second ago. So the answer is A. I like it. Yeah. Testing that conceptual understanding. (laughs) All right. There you have it. Again, that is full length one from Blueprint Prep. Blueprint MCAT is there for you. If you go to blueprintprep.com, sign up for the free goodies and get access to full length one, which you are listening to here. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.